years ago, I got the chance to go with some of the people from Westwinds to tour the original seven churches of Asia Minor in Turkey. These are seven churches that are listed by name in the book of Revelation in the New Testament. And the tour group decided that they would give out sort of like scholarships to pastors and professors so we could come and see for ourselves and then decide if we wanted to take you. And so I was really excited. I thought, this would be cool, man. I want to, I want to feel like I'm living in the Bible. Like I want to touch stuff that's in the Bible and walk in places that are in the Bible. I was so excited. And then I was quickly so disappointed. Not because of the stuff we saw. That was really cool. But a lot of the other people that were with us on the tour, other pastors, other professors, they were really uh, like, like negative. You know what I mean? Like they, they, they were really concerned that all kinds of bad stuff was going to happen. Like, oh man, we better make sure that we see the ruins of these churches now before, you know, they blow them up. Who's going to blow them up? Well, they are, you know. Well, who's they? We you know, communists. Oh, did, did they blow up churches? Oh, yeah, yeah. And you know who else blows up churches? Who? The liberal media. Oh, geez, wow, I didn't know they did that. That's amazing. And they had this like whole sort of like catastrophe planned out and, and, and sort of the villains and the bombers kept being different groups of people, you know? Atheists, they could be bombers or maybe people from Magog and Gog. And it was, it was really like, you know, dramatic. And, and it wasn't just that they were worried about these particular sites. The more time I spent with these guys, the more they started getting really strange and, and peculiar and negative about all kinds of things. Like one guy was reading Spider-Man comics. I know you think professors and pastors shouldn't do that, but one guy's reading Spider-Man comics and another guy pipes up and he's thinking, no, you can't read Spider-Man. That's how they get you, man. They use comic books and that hooks your imagination and then they got you, they brainwash you. You're like, from Spider-Man? Then somebody else was reading Harry Potter and it was the same thing. It's Harry Potter. It's a veiled metaphor for the corruption of the church and that it needs atheists to use witchcraft to stop them. And you're like, dude, take the tinfoil off your head for crying out loud. It was so frustrating. And, and eventually I said to the, the, you know, sort of the, one of the worst offenders, I said, is it possible that, that maybe this is all just in your head? Like that maybe there isn't actually some weird atheistic slash communistic slash satanic guild out there trying to poison our minds and corrupt our children and probably kill us in our sleep? Like, is it, is it possible maybe that you've just blown this out of proportion? Because it feels like, not just one or two, but it feels like a lot of Christians, I mean, people like you and me, have this, this persecution complex. Like, we imagine that, that just because, you know, we're Christians— that the world hates us, that our neighbors are secretly reporting on our behavior, that, that somehow this insidious and dark power known as the news is going to suck our souls out our eyeballs and spit it out to Russia or wherever. And I just think, man, we, we would do well to take a step back and evaluate in the cold light of day whether or not everybody's trying to kill us. Because I don't think they are. Now, to be fair, the Bible is full of persecution literature. In the First Testament, we read again and again and again stories of bigger, angrier powers persecuting Israel. In the New Testament, we read story after story after story of New Testament Christians being persecuted. I mean, being killed on the spot, being summarily executed, having their possessions stolen. I mean, there's a lot of persecution in here. And because we hold the Bible as authoritative, because we want to be the kind of Christians we see described in here, well, then of course, of course we identify with the persecuted church. 
and of course we identify with the stories of persecution of Israel in the Old Testament because we've been grafted in, the Bible says. But every now and then, it's just a good reminder to note that we're not persecuted. Like, there's nobody in Jackson, Michigan, trying to suck your soul out through your eyeballs. I mean, that's not, that's not a thing, man. Nobody's going nobody's to take your house because you're a Christian. Nobody's going to set you on fire because you're a Christian. I mean, we are so spectacularly protected. But the, the problem is, when we think of ourselves as being persecuted, when we're afraid of persecution, we adopt a defensive posture. So if anybody says anything, man, we would lash out at them. If anybody offends us, man, we would lash out, we attack. And that's so unchristian. Like when I read in the New Testament what you're supposed to do if you're persecuted, it's not get petty. It's not be passive aggressive and write weird notes on Facebook. It, it's not like that at all. In fact, all the way through the book, when we're persecuted, that's supposed to be, that's supposed to be when our true Christianity rises to the fore. That, that's supposed to be when we release the best fragrance of Christ. That's supposed to be when we're refined. That's supposed to be when we're, we're proven genuine. And a couple years ago, man, I was really wrestling with this because I, I began to see it in myself. I thought, oh, my gosh. I was playing sports at the time in college, and I thought, man, I, I think my teammates, they must hate me because I'm a Christian. You know, and so I, I realized I was interpreting so many of their, you know, locker room behaviors as, as persecution based on my faith when in actual fact, they're just, they're just being guys playing sports. I mean, it wasn't because I was a Christian that I got a wedgie. That was just because we were guys. There's no Christian wedgie. It's just, and so I realized, man, I, I, gotta, I have to divest myself of this persecution complex. And so what I started to do is I started to kind of imagine scenarios. All right, I'm going to practice. Let me make sure I got my head screwed on straight, you know. And, and I would just imagine, before I ever got there, that, that we were all friends, instead of imagining that they were all trying to get me. And you know the weirdest thing happened? I made a lot of great friends. Now, don't be misled. There's still some people who are actually going to hate you, and they will actually persecute you because you're a Christian. But there's not many of them. Not here and not now. And so what we want to do is not only relax a little bit and, 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 and check ourselves, but more importantly, we want to aggressively press into the life the Scripture describes of loving our enemies, blessing those who curse us, going the extra mile, giving the shirt off our back, such that our joy and the witness and evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is the thing for which we're known. That's real Christian stuff, man. Not Spider-Man. Jesus is a very different set of superheroes. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk our way through the Scripture. I'm going to put it up on the screen here. I'm going to use a laser pointer, which is the, possibly the geekiest thing ever, but that'll help me point. Um, here's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1. Pure gold put in the fire comes out of it proven pure. And genuine faith put through this suffering comes out proven genuine. Do you see what Peter wants to do here? He is trying to reframe our understanding of suffering. Yes, these people then were actually suffering. They were being killed. They did have their possessions taken. They were having their families split apart. But he wants them to know that even in the midst of that, there's another power at work. 
working to reform them, to redeem them, to rescue them. And we often lose sight of that other power, even when in our case, it's almost the only power. And of course, the process of, of refining precious metals, you know, we heat the metal up, and then all the garbage, all the impurities come to the surface, and then we scoop them out. So what's left is just the good stuff. And, and you know why that works spiritually. I mean, if you've ever been through it, man, if you've ever been worried about your marriage or worried about your job, if you've ever been hurt deeply or you're ever in trouble, you know what it's like to fall down on your face before God and beg God's Holy Spirit for help. You know what it's like when you sit there and go, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. All I got is Jesus, so I'm getting rid of all that other crap, and it's just me and the Lord till I get through it. That's refining. And just because God doesn't cause the fire doesn't mean God can't use the fire. He uses it. He redeems it to restore you, his people. And we've got to get a clearer and clearer picture that this is what's happening. We are being proven pure. It's not that the suffering doesn't matter. It's that there's more going on at any given time than simply suffering. So when your faith remains strong, Peter continues, it will bring you much honor when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Three key concepts there. First, when the Bible talks about faith, it doesn't just mean, you know, stuff you think in your head. It means the right relationship of your beliefs and your behaviors. Because when you change the way you think, you're going to change the way you live. And if you've got wrong-headed, kookamonga thinking up here, it's going to affect whether or not you're able to live victoriously or whether or not you're going to get stuck living negatively and defensively all the time. And this will bring you much honor when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. The, the, the idea of honor and revelation, those are connected, man. And the short version is when Jesus shows up for us or around us, we're vindicated. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, and a lot of people think that this is just talking about heaven or whatever. I, I think that that application is true. But sometimes God shows up in remarkable ways through what seems like coincidence, but is actually providence. Like you're sitting there praying for something, you're in your truck, you're driving down the road and you're asking God for help and then all of a sudden a commercial comes on the radio and you hear the exact same thing at the commercial that you were just praying for and you go, wow, that's weird. Because God's showing up telling you, man, I'm listening. You know? You'll be praying and praying and praying and all of a sudden your cell phone will ring and your cell phone never rings and you'll answer it and it'll just be static and it's just the Lord and you go, oh man, I think he's listening. You know, and these little things happen to us all the time when we live the life of faith, and they validate for us that God is attentive. And you go, okay, I'm not alone. Though you have not seen him, he continues, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible joy. You know, joy is the first casualty of a persecution complex. Now, I'm not saying there aren't enemies. I'm not naive. I get it. We have actual adversaries. There are real dangers out there. But if you go your whole life being afraid of what's out there, if you go with your whole life wondering who's coming for you and when they're going to get you, the first thing you lose is your joy, and joy is the hallmark trait of Christian people. Joy is what gives us, gets us through. Man, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if you don't got that joy, all you got left is your fear. You're still going to heaven. It just You're living in hell till you get there. It sucks, right? And we can't forget the fact that God gives us a gift of joy and it radically transforms us when we learn how to accept it. But in order to accept it, we've got to change our thinking. If you change the way you think, you can change the way you live. 
And like Paul says in Romans 12, man, we got to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that that old garbage thinking, that negativity, that fear-mongering is replaced instead with the perspective that God is shaping us and reforming us and redeeming us into his image. Let's keep going. Because you continue to believe, despite the pressure or the poverty or the hardship or the stress, you'll get the total salvation you've eagerly anticipated. The, the word, the Greek word, socio, and, uh, for salvation, literally means health. So when the Bible talks about you getting saved, the Bible's talking about you getting healthy. Get healthy in your thinking. Get healthy in your feeling. Get healthy in your body. Get healthy in your relationships now and on the far side of death. And all this stuff, all this talk about heaven or the new creation gives us a sense of hope that God's future can sustain us even now in the present. But it takes discipline for us to remember that's what's at stake. It takes discipline to retrain our thoughts. It takes discipline to take all that negative thinking captive and replace our thoughts with God's thoughts. But, but that's how we grow. That's how we mature. That's how we move forward. Now, sometimes people, you know, listen to this kind of thing, or I, I imagine as you're listening to all this, you go, well, Dave, you know, this is cute. But it's not just a matter of training myself to be positive. No, of course not. It's more robust than that. It's not just that you're glad-handing or trying to live a Pollyanna life, putting a happy face on a bunch of sad bombs. No, no, no. It's, it's deeper than that. It's a recognition that your spirit is stronger than your mind. It's a recognition that God's word trumps your word, that the things that seem impossible to you do not seem impossible any longer with God. Because the power that changes you is not your power. It's not your cleverness. It's not your education. It's not your wealth. It's not your means. It's not your great sense of humor. The power that changes you is the supernatural God of the universe. And he wants to do something new in you and with you and for you. And we, we got to remember that. There's a psychologist, um, Victor Cruz, who published an experiment in a book called Hope I was reading this week. And, and he said, it was designed to illustrate the power of your thoughts over your reality. And so he took two groups of 12 people and he put them separately for a week in a closed environment. And he told them, listen, you're going to be in just this place for the week. You can't uh, leave the property. You got to live together. We'll sort of do some experiments during the time. We'll take care of all your meals. Um, and, and I just want to see how it goes. Well, the, the first group, he said, you're going to jail. And you can only eat the prison food, and you can only eat prison food at the appropriate times. You can't get any exercise until you get out in the yard at, at the approved recreation time. You can't leave the property. You're in jail. To the second group, he said, you're going to a resort. We'll take care of all your food. Eat as much as you want. We have all the meals laid out several times a day. We get this amazing facility. You can have your run of it. Feel free during the recreation times that we've provided to use all the things and just enjoy the week. Now, who do you think had a better experience? Their circumstances were identical, but one group went in thinking they were going to prison, and the other group went in thinking they were going on vacation. And the way you think about your life dramatically affects whether or not you enjoy it. Because your mind is powerful. But the good news is that you can change your mind. You can change your thinking. You can cooperate with the Holy Spirit so that that old garbage of being in prison all the time is jettisoned, and instead you get to go on vacation. 
Thank you, Simone. Amen. You sit up there every week. That's her spot. I don't care who you are. Don't ever take her spot. She's the one. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, look at you. We had a much more personal example uh, of how radically your thoughts and perspective can shape your reality when um, some friends of ours got pregnant in their 40s. And uh, this was a while ago. They were really, um, you know, surprised um, but excited until they learned there were some complications with the pregnancy in the third trimester and the baby would likely be born with Down syndrome, at which point they were, they were devastated. They just they didn't know how to cope. They didn't, they didn't have the resources. They didn't have the skills. Um, and Mark, the, the husband, um, stood at the delivery room when it was finally time for their daughter to be born, t- terrified, until he saw her. And he said to me, he goes, Dave, I realized in that moment, if somebody said, this little girl needs a dad, I'd volunteer. It's the most beautiful thing I ever heard. I'd volunteer. And just that switch in his thinking from, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I'm not ready. Oh, no, 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 to I volunteer. That changed everything for him. It'll change everything for you. I mean, would you, would you volunteer for your life? Would you volunteer for your marriage? Would you volunteer for your children or your neighborhood or your opportunities? I mean, given all the variables of what you've got to deal with, what your circumstances are, how hard you are, your pain, your disease, your lack of uh, means, whatever. I mean, if for just a moment you could recognize the incredible gift you've been given, man, you... You would volunteer to live your life and be glad. But so many of us get stuck in those old patterns of what if, how come, here it goes, why me, always them. And we fail to enjoy all that the Lord has prepared for us, his people. And Peter continues and takes this a step further. He says, prepare your minds for action. That's what we're talking about. Renewing your mind, taking the bad thoughts captive, redeeming the time. You gotta prepare. Spiritual growth doesn't happen by accident. You're not a fungus. You gotta do some stuff on purpose to grow up. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace of Jesus Christ. Live as God's obedient children. And that phrase right there, living as God's obedient children, The more you think about it, the more it'll change your life. The more it'll change your understanding of Scripture. I mean, I've been reading the Bible a long time. I was somebody's child. I still am somebody's child. And when I would grow up or my dad would talk or my mom would talk and they would remind me that I'm a a son of God, you know, that, that didn't really land for me. It didn't make sense. I found it uncompelling. I already had parents. I didn't want more parents. But now that I'm a dad, that's the most powerful thought in the universe. To think that God volunteered for me. To think of what I would do for my children, what you would do for your children. You know, sometimes we read the Bible and we think, man, God seems angry. There's so many prohibitions. He's, he's curbing our pleasures all the time. No, no, no. No, 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 no. You've got the wrong mindset, bro. You're seeing that as some angry Zeus god ready to chuck a lightning bolt in your ear. But, but 
this God is your daddy. This God volunteers for you. And so when he prohibits certain behavior, he's doing that because he didn't want you to get hurt. It's because he loves you. He wants you to thrive. He wants you to flourish. He wants you to be optimized and vitalized. He wants you to have the best quality of life imaginable now and forevermore in him and with him and through him because he's your dad. But you've you got to get the right thinking before you get that. And when you do, man, you change your thoughts, you'll change your life. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. Since it is written, you will be holy, for I am holy. Man, I love that. I love that. That whole piece comes out of the message translation of the scripture by Eugene Peterson, and it's such a fresh understanding of holiness. Like, so many of us grew up with the idea that holiness means austerity, joylessness, being taciturn. And they described holiness with all the same sex appeal as a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet. I mean, it just didn't, you didn't want to be holy. That was like being neutered. You're like, no thanks, I'm good. <laughs> but to have somebody remind you that when the God of the universe fills you with his holy fire, that you're going to be more energetic, more passionate, more imaginative, more creative, that nothing is going to stop you because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Man, you don't got to worry because he's taking care of you. He's the one reminding you that in Christ, you can say, I'm strong enough to face these challenges. That with his help, you can be faithful, even in the midst of temptation, even in the midst of pressure, even in the midst of persecution. He's the one reminding you he's got you. You're secure now and eternally. He's the one reminding you, you got a better hope. Life with God is better and not just because eventually you'll go to heaven when you die. That's important. But what's far more urgent and important is realizing that your life can be filled with joy, with vitality, with love, on a scale you'd never thought possible. It just requires that you've got to change how you think. Got to change out your old thoughts for God's thoughts so that you walk into every opportunity ready to volunteer. Jesus, thanks for your good words. Thank you for your friend, Peter, writing these letters to your churches and to us. Thank you that we have a share in the truths he espouses here. And we say, Lord, we, we want to be holier people. We want to be a holier church. We want to be holier families. We want to be transformed by your spirit so that we are excited and empowered to live our lives in your name and for your glory. Jesus, we pray these things gladly and gratefully. Amen.